0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey book lovers, my name is M and I want to talk about books and cats. cats. So in case the title of this episode didn't tip you off, it's going to be a weird one. Um, I had a different one planned for today, and then sometimes you start reading one thing, and it leads you to something else, and you end up with this whole different idea altogether. So the jumping off point for this episode was an article I found um, called Jack Kerouac's List of 30 Beliefs and Techniques for Writing and Life. Um, and there's a link to the whole list in the show notes. It's basically just his thoughts on writing and life, um, all in short phrases. Here's a few. Um, Submissive to everything, open, listening. Try never to get drunk outside your own house. Be in love with your life. Something that you feel will find its own form. And visionary ticks shivering in the chest. That last one I really, really like. Um, eventually, this list was included in the Portable Jack Kerouac, uh, a portable library, which there's also a link to in the show notes. This list was also allegedly tacked on the wall of Allen Ginsberg's hotel room a year before he wrote his iconic poem, Howl. And that's not really a surprise because Ginsberg uh, readily admitted that Kerouac had influenced his work and even noted in the dedication of Howl and other poems that he took the title from Kerouac. So that led me to Howl by Allen Ginsberg. I first read this poem in my high school English class. I had an awesome teacher, um, and he was definitely kind of a beatnik hippie type. And at the time, I was obsessed with anything about the 60s counterculture. This poem was also the impetus for a massive fight with my dad. Not really anything new, um, during my teen years. They were pretty common. But this one had him screaming, it's pornography, over and over again, while I countered with, it's art, over and over again. The issue wasn't that it's a sexual poem. Um, there were a lot of things in my house that were far more pornographic. Um, it was a different time, and openly discussing gay sex was still shocking and confusing. Um especially for a lot of adults. Um, I understand that now. I didn't understand it then. Um, I had the complete confidence of a teenager. I just knew I was right. Um, now I know that being right doesn't really matter and that right is different for everyone. Um, we were both right in our own minds, and I just think it's funny that it was such a bad fight, but now any mention of that poem makes me think of my dad. Um Which I think is why I'm doing this weird episode. It's March, and the end of this month is the three-year anniversary of my dad's death. And I've been thinking about him a lot. My dad liked poetry, too. And books. Um, He instilled the love of reading in me that led to where I am today. Um, When I was a kid, he would read poetry at bedtime. Or the original fairy tales. I will never forget the first time he read me The Red Shoes. Uh, Basically... This girl gets a pair of red shoes and goes to a dance and she puts them on and she can't stop dancing and she dances until she dies or she's given the option either she's going to dance until she dies or they have to chop her feet off Uh, and they chop her feet off, which is wild. (laughs) I was also a dancer at the time, so that story really made an impression, but I loved it and I requested it over and over again. It was one of my favorites. Um, it's no wonder I like the type of books I do. Um, those stories were gruesome and also absolutely fascinating. And I think it definitely influenced uh, like the kind of stuff that I write, especially, and also the stuff I read. He also read me poetry by Robert Service. Uh, he is a British-Canadian writer and a poet, and he's of Scottish descent, which we're very proud of our Scottish heritage. Um Robert Service was also called The Bard of the Yukon. He wrote beautiful poetry about the desolate, icy wonderland that lies in the far north of Canada. To the point where he really captured, like, the harshness of it, but also the beauty. The two poems that I loved the most by him were called "Iceworm Cocktail and The Cremation of Sam McGee. Yep. <laughs> Uh, my dad also would read kids' books, but he liked to spice those up with added lines and funny voices, which is something that I copied with my own children. I think mine might have been a little more over the top just because I've always been like very dramatic. Um, but yeah, I definitely got that from dad. <laughs> Understandably, um, I've been having some grief moments lately. At least it's down to just moments now. Um, it's been a lot less consistent lately. I've also learned that at certain times of the year, it's just going to be more prevalent, and I have to deal with it. Um, Lately, I've been listening to this awesome podcast. There's a comedian named uh, Jessie Mae Peluso, and she has a podcast called Sharp Tongue. And in the podcast, there is a series that she did called The Grief Survival Guide. Um, She started recording it after her mom died. Her dad has already passed, so now she is an orphan, as she keeps saying. I feel like she's inside my head sometimes, like we share a lot of similar traits, and I guess grief is pretty similar for everybody. Anyway, it's an excellent podcast, and in one of the episodes, she shared, you want a physicist to speak at your funeral, which is an amazing speech from Aaron Freeman, who spoke to NPR in a broadcast way back in 2005, where he delved into how to plan for death. Um, and he discussed why, despite the fact that scientists seem like, you know, hard-nosed individuals who are more cut out for chemistry and equations and not human emotion, um, they're actually the perfect people to speak at your funeral. And specifically, he said, you will want a physicist to speak for you when you die. I'm going to read this in its entirety because it is just amazing. You want a physicist to speak at your funeral. You want the physicist to talk to your grieving family about the conservation of energy so they will understand that your energy has not died. You want the physicist to remind your sobbing mother about the first law of thermodynamics, that no energy gets created in the universe and none is destroyed. You want your mother to know that all your energy, every vibration, every BTU of heat, every wave of every particle that was her beloved child, remains with her in this world. You want the physicist to tell your weeping father that amid energies of the cosmos, you gave as good as you got. And at one point you'd hope the physicist would step down from the pulpit and walk to your broken-hearted spouse there in the pew and tell him that all the photons that ever bounced off your face, all the particles whose paths were interrupted by your smile, by the touch of your hair, Hundreds of trillions of particles have raced off like children, their ways forever changed by you. And as your widow rocks in the arms of a loving family, may the physicist let her know that all the photons that bounced up from you were gathered in the particle detectors that are her eyes, that those photons created within her constellations of electromagnetically charged neurons whose energy will go on forever. You can hope that your family will examine the evidence and satisfy themselves that the science is sound and that they'll be comforted to know your energy is still around. According to the law of the conservation of energy, not a bit of you is gone. You're just less orderly. And again, that is by Aaron Freeman. And I think it is just perfect. Um, if anyone has gone through a loss, I hope this helps you. Um, it kind of helped me to hear it. I like to think that dad is still everywhere. Um, if anything, I think he might be among the birds just because I've had some weird bird <laughs> interactions since he passed. Um, and that makes me really happy. So my dad also loved cats. Um, we had them my entire childhood, starting with my dad's cat, Fred, who was there before me. Um, that cat had three legs and he would still fight any other cat in the neighborhood, including one time when he performed an at-home neutering on a mean tomcat who just happened to wander by. Not a good night for that cat. Then there was Skittles. Um, we had other cats too, but Skittles was definitely dad's cat. She was all black and gorgeous. Um, she would wait on the table when he came home for him to come in and then she would climb up on his shoulder and perch like a parrot. It was adorable. That cat ended up kind of gold-plated after being hit by cars a couple of times. Um, she really used her nine lives. Uh, when she passed, that was the first time I'd ever seen my dad cry, and honestly, like, it really shook me. <laughs> um, then my dad got into, like, an orange cat phase. First there was Murphy, who was, like, just this orange sweetheart. He was kind of derpy, but just so sweet. And then he was followed by Boris, who was another sweetheart orange cat who took care of my dad during his cancer and was as devastated as we were when dad passed. Um, sorry. Someone once tried to tell me that cats don't have emotions and that we're just projecting human emotions onto them, but that is such BS. Um, Cats feel as much as we do, for sure. That cat mourned my father, for sure. Anyway, (laughs) what a happy podcast this is. Let's get to the quote of the week. And for the quote of the week, I wanted to bring it back around to Kerouac, back where we started, back to the starting point of this weird episode. (laughs) Um, And I wanted a quote about life to end all of this talk about death. (laughs) So here's my Kerouac quote. The only people for me are the mad ones, the ones who are mad to live, mad to talk, mad to be saved, desirous of everything at the same time. The ones who never yawn or say a commonplace thing, but burn, 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 like fabulous yellow Roman candles exploding like spiders across the stars. And in the middle, you see the blue center lights pop and everybody goes, "Ah, oh. I like that. I like the energy of that. Anyway, um, I'm sorry if this episode was a bummer. Not if. I'm sorry this episode was a bummer. Um, next week we'll be back to the usual. It just seemed appropriate to talk about the man who taught me to love reading. Um, I feel like I did a really shitty job of talking about him, um, at the celebration of his life that we had right after he passed. I was a complete mess and, uh, I'm not great at public speaking anyway. And I hadn't really, I feel like I haven't really been able to find the words for it until now. So I guess this is the eulogy I wish I could have given. So now to switch gears completely, um, no more sad stuff. If you want, stick around after the music for chapter 11 of my weekly writing project, Heart of the Storm, because writing is my solace and it never ends, regardless of my emotional state. Um, so stick around for that. At least that part will be fun. And until next time, keep reading. Thanks for sticking around, book lovers. It is now time for chapter 11 of Heart of the Storm. This is my weekly writing project where I try to write a chapter a week, so enjoy. Kiki sat facing Gemma. The girl was tied to a pipe and unconscious. Ke had healed the girl's cracked ribs and bruised body while she slept. He could heal her physical form, but there was only one person left who could heal her markings. Unfortunately, he was also the one who designed them. How long will she sleep? She asked her silent husband. Once he had finished healing the girl, he had taken his place at the window and watched the street without moving. He turned to her now, slowly. He was angry. It made her nervous, but also excited. Her heart raced as he took a few slow steps in her direction. We can't save her, he said in his gravelly voice. It made Kiki shudder. I know. She said softly. She did feel for this poor girl. Manx was back at work, apparently, or maybe he'd never stopped. There were rumors in the valley missing girls and the smell of a particular poison. Do you think there have been others? Ken nodded grimly. Look at the detail. He's been practicing. Kiki winced as if someone had slapped her. There was a popping sound from somewhere nearby followed by an unearthly wail. Kes stared back at Kiki with wide eyes. She saw her fear mirrored in his face. Maybe gunfire, she suggested weakly. Kes shook his head. We both know what it is. Only Kevo didn't know what he stole, or what he has begun. Do you think? Kiki's words died in her throat as she saw the figure standing in the doorway. His bright red hair was covered with a black knit hat, but she would never forget his pallid, frightful face. It was burned into her nightmares. Beside her, Ke made his thick hands into fists. Kiki could hear his teeth grinding, waiting for a chance to unleash his rage. Kiki rose gracefully to her feet. She placed a soothing hand on her husband's arm and raised her chin as she turned to address this horrid creature wrapped in a human disguise. "'Hello, Manx.' Harper stood gaping at the lovely creature in front of her. Her mother. Her mother. The woman smiled, but she did not address the girl yet. She trained her eyes on Lottie and Moz, who were ever so slowly edging toward the door. She raised a slender, pale blue hand and snapped her fingers. They froze where they stood. A fine coating of ice covered their skin and gave them the same bluish hue that she bore. Their breath came out in puffs of vapor, and their eyes moved wildly. But otherwise, they remained immobile. Thea gestured to the couch. Sit, she commanded. Both of you. Harper started. She had forgotten all about Kevo. He was crouched in the corner, partially hidden under an antique desk. He was too large to fully fit. He looked absurd, and Harper wanted to laugh. But one look at his face killed her laughter. His beautiful brown skin had gone pale and kind of gray. His body was shaking uncontrollably. And his expression was one of complete terror. The cold beauty snapped her fingers again, and Harper cringed. Kevo whimpered and tried to climb farther under the desk. Nothing else happened. The woman rolled her eyes. I'm not going to hurt you. Sit. This time Harper moved to the couch and motioned for Kevo to do the same. He slowly unfolded his long legs and squirmed out from under the desk. He walked hunched over and cast a fearful look in Thea's direction. When the woman smiled, he looked away. You're right, Harper. I am your mother, the woman said. She smiled a little. But call me Thea. I wasn't in your life long enough to earn that title. And it doesn't suit me. She was right. The woman who had brought Harper into this world stood before her as she had been then. She was younger than Lottie and Maz now. Her skin, though gray, was smoother. Thea laughed as if she heard Harper's thoughts. They have aged terribly in the last twenty years. The woman's smile grew wider. They were once this beautiful as well, but deception is terrible for the skin. She laughed again, angrily this time. She swung her arm out and the two frozen figures toppled to the ground. The door to the stairway crashed open, shattering a shelf full of knickknacks as it slammed against the wall with tremendous force. With a flick of her dainty wrist, Lottie and Moz rolled through the open doorway and bumped down the stairs. The following silence was unnerving. Thea turned to the teens with a sly smile. Time to go, kitties. Too bad there isn't more time for revenge, but I'll get to them eventually. Harper noticed how sharp Thea's teeth looked. Her skin also looked dry and patchy, There were places where it was peeling away. Her pale blue eyes were faded and sunken and ringed with heavy, dark circles. She rose from the floor, and the light hit her sparkling dress and cast tiny stars around the room. She held open her arms, and the stars formed a line across the ceiling. They twinkled and danced to the rhythm of her swaying. Harper and Kevo rose slowly to their feet. Their eyes never left the dancing stars above. Thea laughed and began to float in a slow circle around the room. "'Take my hand, Hunk!' Thea cried with a wild laugh. She grabbed Kevo's hand and lifted him off his feet. Her circling was growing faster. Kevo's face was tinged with green, and Harper remembered the summer they had had a fair in the valley. Harper had forced Kevo to go on every ride, and he had turned that same nasty shade of green just before he threw up in a trash can near the Ferris wheel." She was torn from this memory by Kevo snatching her hand and lifting her into the air. They continued to circle, and Thea took hold of Harper's other hand. Hold on tight, she said as she grinned and squeezed their hands. The stars formed a bigger star on the ceiling, and a gaping black hole formed at its center. Thea's long, violet hair came to life and wrapped itself around them, cradling them, as they began to move upward. With a loud pop, the black hole sucked them in, and the stars moved in to close the opening. One by one, they burst into a puff of stardust and settled on the worn carpet. Footsteps thundered up the stairs. Moz burst through the door, one arm hung at their side, dislocated at the shoulder joint. Lottie came limping behind them, bruised but still mostly intact. They're gone, Moz said. Of course they are, Lottie sighed, and we know where they've gone, too. Maybe we should just leave. Maz flopped onto the chaise and cried out when their arm bumped the cushion. You know we can't, Maz said irritably. She won't let us. She's not in charge anymore, Lottie said. Her voice was high and thin. She barely recognized it as her own. Maz just stared at her and arched a perfect eyebrow. Are you sure about that? And that is the end of Chapter 11, Book Lovers. I hope you're still enjoying Heart of the Storm. Make sure to check out Storytime with M on Sunday. I am sharing my book Feelers, um, a chapter or two a week. And then I'll be back with another definitely less of a bummer episode next Thursday. So thank you for listening. And until next time, keep reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah.